As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome in to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin' Paul and your junior, Jay Morrison of The Athletic, are here with you at 50 West Brewing Company live here as we are doing our post-draft show with our special guest, Bengals Director of College Scouting, Mike Potts, is here with me. Let's hear it for Mike Potts. The man of the hour. It was it was in your hands. It was all in your hands. And I think it went out. Does anybody think the Bengals had a good draft? They better clap, right? Like, you're right here. <laughs> no, no booze. It's not like when Goodell walks out. Uh, so I, I want to start uh, this way. I, I want to start by introducing you to Mike because he's somebody that you should know. Um, we talk all the time about, you know, important people in the organization. And there's so many people that don't get enough recognition from all the scouts, all the even the, the I think somebody was talking to me about the person who drives the bus and how like integral they are. And there's so many people that are part of the organization, that are part of this process that are so important. Um, Mike, you, know, you you started, you were in the Arena League. I was. You were. Where did you play in the Arena League? I played in Tulsa, Tampa, and Manchester, New Hampshire. See, see what people don't know. I used to cover the Arena League. Arena League 2, not the good one, like the minor Arena League. And I could sit here and talk about arena football for hours. I promise I won't do that. But I want to. I just want you to know. But you came up. I mean, you played. You were a player, and then you got into the scouting. How did you transition into the scouting game? I always knew I wanted to get into scouting. Um, but obviously, you, you've got high hopes as a player. You want to play as long as you can. can like you said, um, I played in the Arena League after college. I uh, went to William & Mary. Uh, played quarterback there and then uh, was in camp actually ironically with the Pittsburgh Steelers as a player um, after yeah yeah Ooh, yeah Go ahead. let exactly. them know let them know. Exactly. know I knew that was coming uh, rightfully so <laughs> but um, 
you know, played three years in the Arena League, and then uh, an opportunity came up, came through to be an unpaid intern in training camp with the Atlanta Falcons. Can't pass that. Absolutely. It, it uh, <laughs> you know, was make 500 bucks a week and, and, you know, eat fast food, and you're scrounging by playing in the Arena League. So it's hard to make a living doing that. And, um, you know, I decided to kind of bet on yourself, as, as, as they say, and unpaid through training camp. It's essentially a, a month-long interview, and then end ended up sticking on there and was four years in Atlanta and now this is my eighth year in Cincinnati so finishing finishing that eighth year up yeah a lot of good has happened in that time um how did you meet Duke because obviously he he kind of very closely handpicks people that he wants to be on his staff as we always hear he doesn't want more voices he wants the right voices and so how did you meet him and how did you become the right voice for Duke Tobin I met Duke out on the road. I, it, it's uh, it's kind of funny. You, you end up getting closer with scouts from other teams than you actually do. You spend more time with them at times than you do with teams with scouts from your own team because you're out there traveling on the road. You may be at West Virginia on on a random Tuesday through during the season, and and you get to know these guys. I met Duke uh, first, I, th- I believe, at an All Star game at, at uh, probably back in maybe. 2012 and you know just kept in touch and and once an opportunity opened up here he he kind of had that a comfort level to end up adding me onto the staff so we've, we've developed a great relationship there over the years and he's a great guy to work for I mean that that first season here you just hit the ground running you weren't part of the 2015 draft right you came in after the draft and then it's one of the best seasons in in franchise history and didn't end the best way that that you probably had liked but did did it feel like you had found a home immediately as soon as you got here and started working with Duke and, and saw what this organization was? Yeah, it's, it was. It felt like home right away. It's uh, it's a great place to work. That was I was mentioning to you before we got on here. That was the highest of the highs and the lowest yeah. of the lows in that season. I think we started out eight and zero, 2015, and then you have that meltdown in the in the playoff game uh, against the the Steelers there and at the end of that 2015 season. So we it was kind of a, a roller coaster. It's it's uh, hard to think back on. But it felt like we kind of tailspinned and, and, and hit rock bottom. And then we've done a really nice job building, building it up back up over the past few years. And we're in arguably as good a shape as any team in the league right now. No question about that. Um, I'll say this. I mean, you talk about building it back up. I mean, what you guys have been able to do with the new once Zach Taylor and the coaching staff have come in. How and this isn't about the previous regime, but this is just about there has been a really unique connection that you guys have had with this coaching staff. What's it been like watching that develop and come along to, you know, I think Duke said into the us the combine. I mean, he just feels like you guys are a well-oiled machine right now with all this continuity and such a good relationship. What's it been like to watch? Watch that come about and and watch it happen again this year through this draft process. It's been awesome to see that process and be a part of it. It's, um, you know, we spend a lot of time around each other. It's not something that just happens overnight. So over these past four years, going into year five with Zach at, at the helm as the head coach, uh, we spend a lot of time together. We have a smaller personnel staff. We're very close. We're very close with all of our coaches. So we kind of see the game in similar ways. We know exactly what, every, what we're looking for at every position. And, you know, just, just being on the same page with what we're looking for, both as people from a character standpoint, because that's as big a part of our job in evaluating the person as it is the player so um, you know those two work hand in hand and and us being on the same page I think has led to a lot of our success does it I mean 
you talked about how a lot of times you become good friends with guys on other teams as opposed to your own. But with this staff being so small and just the the nature of, of the continuity. I mean, we talk all the time about the coaching staff five years together or the coordinator is the head coach. But this this the scouting staff has been together forever. Is it is this kind of the, the outlier where it is now a case where you are getting closer to the people that you work with here as opposed to the guys on the road? And I'm sure you have friends with other teams, but does, does this feel unique in terms of relationships, this scouting department? We are an outlier in that way. I mean, we only have six guys and we're extremely close. We, all of us are, we live in Cincinnati, which is not the case with other teams. When I worked for the Atlanta Falcons, we, we had 20-some scouts and they live scattered across the whole country. So um, if we're not out on the road traveling, we're in the office every day. So we're hanging out, we're popping into each other's offices, bouncing ideas off of each other. So it's just that that chemistry ends up building up and you know we we challenge each other to you know maybe think outside the box and, and think through different situations maybe how it, it helps us out on draft day you know maybe if this scenario plays out how would we react so um, that constant communication really helps us all right let's dive into these players huh let's talk a little bit about the path to this draft let's talk about first round miles murphy clemson right i mean you you when you start going, you guys do these. Uh, you guys do your own mock drafts. They're not as good as Jay and I's, of course. And Jay, no, no, absolutely not. I mean, Jay at least got it correct. Let's hear it for Jay nailing it on the head. I mean, way to go! Good job, uh, but you know, you guys run. You do that. You do do that process of uh, assessing everyone's team needs, trying to predict what they'll do and who will be there during that process in the week or so leading up. How many times was Miles Murphy in the conversation still at at twenty eight? We we actually only do one mock draft as as a group. We each we each take two or three teams um, between scouting staff, ownership, Zach and his coordinators. We split it up that way. And Miles Murphy, I think, was gone in the top half of the first round mm-hmm. in that scenario. What we spend most of our time on is stacking the top twenty eight players in this case, since we're picking at twenty eight in the first round. And he was he was very high on our list. I, I don't remember the exact number, but he was definitely in the top half of the first round. Um, and that's a, there's a lot of different discussions that go into that you know we we want to draft premium positions ideally which is anything that affects the the quarterback in our in our minds um and then you also have to balance that with the grades we have on the player and then also what you know the current needs on our on our Bengals roster currently so there's a lot of different factors that go into play and uh miles murphy throughout that process just as we tweaked it and there's conversations it felt like a hundred times a day over the past several months and and he he ended up very high on our rankings for for a lot of reasons we can get into yeah what's that like when you you've got a guy that you think is going to be gone much earlier i know last year i think there was a lot of angst is when Dak started sliding is he was he actually going to make it to you guys was it kind of the same thing with murphy where you you didn't really expect it to happen and then all of a sudden two three picks out it's you you start getting really nervous that is he going to make it i know he's not the only one you want to take at 28 but if if he's your highest one available i would imagine there's a little bit of disease there uh, waiting to see if he's actually going to go yeah there was a number of guys that we liked as 
as the, as the board starts playing out, as that first round, the the clocks or the uh, the picks come ticking off the board, and um, there there was a number of guys, and it starts to thin out as you get closer and closer to your pick. So the way the process goes is we're we were actually fielding a ton of trade calls. We probably had, you know, I, I would say upwards of five offers to move back off of that twenty eighth pick. But if a guy like Miles, we knew if he was there, we were in all likelihood unless we were blown away by an offer, we were going to stick and pick a high caliber guy like that. If we felt like we were dropping down a level of player, we would have probably moved back and, and taken the best of those multiple offers that we had there. Um, but again, it, it, you are holding your breath. We were holding our breath in a lot of rounds, yeah. and I really like the way that it turned out for us pretty much in rounds one through seven with all eight selections that we made. There, We got a guy that we didn't feel like we were dropping down a level of player, and it was a guy that we targeted. So I wanted to talk about Miles' characteristics and your exposures to him in a second, but to, to piggyback on the trade thing, you know, when we led up to this draft, we talked a lot about it. it felt like what, with where you guys were at from a roster standpoint and what you wanted to accomplish, a draft that was missing a pick, that needed a, one more player, one more pick, and what was a really nice middle rounds for positions that you guys wanted to go after and improved to be that too when you were there. Did you guys view it that way? And how hard did that make it to say, no, I, you know it's Murphy. I go back to T. Higgins, right? Everyone assumed you guys were going to trade back that year because you had all day to field picks and wanted to move back potentially. But when it's T. Higgins, you're not passing. Did that kind of remind you of that? And, and were you kind of surprised at, at how much you know interest there was in that pick that had to have been really tempting to move back? Yeah, it's very similar to T. Higgins, Dax Hill, and now Miles Murphy. Those, are, yeah. those were all picks in similar range. 28 to 33 range. So uh, similar caliber of player that we thought could have went higher than that late first to top of the second in T's situation. Um, we, we thought those guys were, were easily first round players and and we were happy that they were there. Now, if we, like I said, if we felt like we were dropping down a level of player, we had deals in place that we're picking at 28. If Miles Murphy maybe goes at 27 or a couple other guys that we like go those picks right before us, then we certainly would have pulled the trigger on that, on that trade and moved back. I agree with you. We wanted to add at least one pick, which we did. Um, it would have been nice to add two or three more picks, but that's just the way it fell. And like I said, part of that is we really like the guys that we took in every round. It's it's a little bit different, obviously, than a handful of years ago. Now picking late in the in the in the each each round, uh, your original picks at least. So you really have to trust your board, and there's a lot of patience that comes in play. And like I said, there's a lot of holding your breath, hoping that the guy's there. But at the same time, you also have to have that uh, backup plan with with potential yeah. trades if you feel like it's a player that you don't feel comfortable with at that point. I know you want to ask about Murphy, but I have a quick question about the mechanism of that. Is Does Duke answer the phone and you guys are sitting there wondering what's going on or is it on speakerphone? Is that whole negotiation taking place where the whole room hears what's being offered, what's being talked about? Yeah, we'll, we'll field calls from other teams. Um, Duke, myself, Steve Radicevic, uh, we're up there um, on, the, on the trade lines working from our cell phone and the landline phone. We'll field calls and we'll make calls. And no, it's not, not usually on speakerphone it's usually a very quick call it's like 10 15 seconds like hey we'll offer you this pick and this pick for this pick and it's usually okay well we're open to that but let's we just need to discuss it and we'll get right back to you and usually you call him right back or maybe shoot the guy a text if you have his cell phone number and say we're either we're in or we're out okay I imagine trade calls with the Chiefs are short and, and not exactly full of smiles and jokes, right? Yeah, we'll give you whatever. Uh, 
Let's talk about Murphy. I mean, why was he the guy that you would pass up on that many offers for? When did you first kind of, you know, catch wind of him? And, and what was the big selling point for you? Um, really, it's, I mean, the, the guys, there's not too many people in the in the world that are, that are as talented as this guy. I mean, you can look across the league, 6'5", 270 pounds and runs a 4'5", 1". There's, there's not too many. You talk about the Miles Garrett's, Chase Young's of the world. They, they don't have those those measurables. So there's some rare things that he does. It pops out to you when you're, um, when you're watching the tape, when you go there and you watch practice live down at Clemson. I've been going through there a lot of years. And I will say there, there was good one good thing about being with the Steelers in camp as a player, I actually was teammates uh, at the time. I was just a nobody college free agent, but Nick Eason was a D lineman on the Pittsburgh Steelers at that time. So we were actually teammates. He was our previous D line coach with the with the Bengals. So I've known him for 15 years, and he's now the Clemson D line coach who who coached uh, Miles Murphy down there. So there was one good thing, despite playing for for the enemy for a brief period of time. There was one good thing that came out of that. It was uh you know good good scouting intel with with a good um a good you know friend who i've got a good relationship with who that's part of scouting you got to be able to trust that you're getting good quality information um but miles just putting the whole the whole picture together from his talent the upside where we think he can be um now going to be coached by marion hobby who's an excellent d-line coach also coached at clemson before ironically so there's there's some connections there um, and we think his upside is through the roof just in terms of uh, size, speed, explosiveness, his length, his, his, uh, his power, the way he can bend the edge. Um, you know, we think he can play the run and rush the passer very effectively. And, um, you know, those, those are some of the reasons that we were really excited uh, to have him there at the bottom of the first round and, and not a guy that we wanted to risk, uh, you know, maybe moving back and maybe somebody else swipes him out from under your feet. You know, one, one thing that I, I think about when you say, you know, exactly exactly what you want the coaching staff wants, what the defense is supposed to look like. I, I think about Murphy through the terms of he plays like Hendrickson and Hubbard. There's this relentless chase to his game where you see him running backside, chasing somebody down to the sideline. And like you said, when you're 270, you're not supposed to be able to run a 4-5-1. And you see him chasing running backs down to the sideline. I mean, it's that same in Osai. I mean, he, he they have those same traits that relentless. It's like, I don't think you guys have a single defense defensive lineman on your team that doesn't play like that now. I have visions of DJ Reader chasing a Kansas City screen 18 yards down the field. It's like everybody has that, and he seems to have that too. Yeah, that, that's kind of the culture that we've set in that D line room, um, you know, it starts it starts with the coaches, and then uh, it's the players that we've that we brought in. You know, that's their mentality. They're relentless type of players, and um, if Miles wasn't that that kind of player, we, we probably wouldn't be as interested in him. Um, and you know, if, if he had any any laziness to him or anything like that, they would they would get it out of him really quick. That's not going to be tolerated in that room. Um, and those are the kind of guys that that we're looking for. But yeah, it, it's eye popping on tape when you see a man of his size running a play down maybe twenty yards downfield. Um, um, and you know it's he's an easy guy to like in terms of the uh, the raw traits and raw talent that he has. Is that where it's like uh, the the fourth quarter against a, a very bad team where you almost can glean more from a guy what he's doing on tape where maybe the game's out of hand and you're watching and that motor's still running or I mean how, how do you 
I'm sure you get intel from the coaches down there, but when, how do you weigh what you see from a player when a game is against an elite opponent when he, and he's playing the best and the best where, versus when he's playing a team that they, they should stomp and, and he should dominate, yet he's still going 100 miles an hour in the fourth quarter? Yeah, we talk to their coaches and their staff, and we put the whole picture together with what we see on tape. Um, maybe if they're playing uh, Division two school and it's, it's the fourth quarter and they're up by 40 points, we like to watch the guy on extra point block or on, on field goal block, see if he's just, you know, walking off the line or if he's going going all out. Usually we're looking for guys that love football, and if they love football, it usually shows up on tape because they, they enjoy playing the game. Uh, they play it with a passion, and it's not just sometimes. It's it's all the time. Um, and when you build up that Rolodex of players and you watch, watch that many players as we do sitting in the office all day long or, or out at schools evaluating tape, those guys really jump out to you. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So in the second round, you end up taking DJ Turner out of Michigan, who played with Dax Hill. That's obviously makes it easier um, to to see side by side somebody you already have on your team. You know, I'm sure there was a call to Dax during the process of what what you got um, on him. What's what was your process like in seeing him? And was there something that that stood out uh, specifically about him? Yeah, he's really just a good all-around player, but the the one thing, obviously, that uh, stands out is his speed. I think he was the fastest, one of the fastest, if not the fastest guy in this year's draft class, ran in the four twos. Uh, but he's not just a straight line, linear, stiff athlete, um, as we call him in scouting. He's got really good quickness, really good change of direction, uh, just overall cover skills. And he's the other thing that stands out is he's he's really tough, throws his body around. He's not the biggest guy in the world, um, only, only right, right around 180 pounds. But um, we're looking like we talked about with the relentlessness, the physicality. Uh, we're looking for that at every position, not just D-line. And, uh, and that really stood out with him on tape. So go through there on a, on a scouting visit. You watch him in, in practice. You watch him at games. Watch the film and then just put the whole process together. Um, and with how well he kind of ended out his process performing at the combine with putting up elite numbers athletically, that just kind of verified what we saw on tape. We interviewed him there at the combine. Great kid to talk to. Competitive demeanor. Comes off like a passionate guy who loves football has some good edge to him. Um, so, you know, those are the things that we like about him. Really excited to add him to that defensive back room.
and we think he can play outside corner or inside at nickel in the slot, depending on where our needs uh, come out. So we want those guys with versatility. You never know how the, the year could, could play out injury-wise and where you may need a guy to fill in. So there's a lot of, a lot of really uh, good traits that DJ has that we really like about him. We spent a lot of time talking about trends that you guys have, the, the players you like, the, the dimensions, the measurements, all that. And I know when you're talking about offense, defense schemes, you don't want to be predictable. You don't want to have trends like that. But but do you feel like you guys have a, a, a certain type when it comes to corners in particular? And, and why was – because he, he kind of is a little bit smaller than what you guys typically like to target. What was it about him that, that made you say, okay, we can, we can deal with a little bit of deficiency in arm length and size, but he makes up for it here? That's a great question. That's something that we spend a lot of time talking about. We, To answer your question, at the end of the day, we're looking for good football players that we like on tape as players and they and they love football and have the right makeup there's not we would never say oh if this guy has this arm length we absolutely won't draft him if we love everything else about him if the, you know this guy's got to be this height or he's got to be the only thing that would eliminate him is if we've rejected his medical grade or his character grade we don't want him part of our locker room or we think he's too much of a risk medically to take on there's there's nothing else at all that would completely eliminate a guy um, but at the end of the day we just have to put the whole picture together yeah he he may be a little bit smaller but he makes up with some rare traits in other areas with just how explosive twitchy how fast he is um instincts just overall cover skills and the toughness and physicality that i mentioned it's a lot along the lines we spent a lot of time on the emmanuel forbes conversation this year and it's like trying to trying to figure out how to put that piece together okay i got can somebody who's 166 pounds right now can he put on weight what does that mean in comparison to the way that he plays is that possible it, what what will that cost you and obviously we saw where he went and we know how much everybody loved him the league is changing i mean the league has got smaller guys i mean look at this draft so many small receivers i mean the, the devonta smiths of the world I, we were kind of calling emmanuel forbes the like defensive devonta smith because look at a certain point the the tape talks and it's like i don't care what he weighs the tape talks and it, it just seems like there's maybe a it's a little easier to accept smaller sizes on the outside now than it was five, ten years ago because the game has changed that way. Do you, or do you see it that way, or do you think that um, you know in- inevitably it's always going to be about bigger and stronger? I think at the end of the day, the, the game has changed, but it's always going to be a big man's game. We we always want the biggest, the the fastest, the the strongest. We you know we're we're not looking to sacrifice in certain areas. Our job is to evaluate the player. Maybe you know in in the player that you mentioned, the the case is the only weakness in their whole game is a lack of bulk. So we we talk with our coaching staff, we talk with our personnel staff. Okay, is there a way we can work around this? Is there a way we can play to this guy's strengths? And if that's the if if the guy only has one weakness then he's probably a pretty darn good player um and as as you mentioned he went right there in the middle of the the first round so obviously there was a lot of a lot to like um about him and there's there there are all things being equal we would love to take the bigger guy but if they're deficient in other areas maybe you're willing to live with that lack of size if it's their only deficiency or one of one of only a few let's um let's talk about the third round pick here um out of alabama i've been fascinated with this because of some of the superlatives that have been discussed of him as a person. And this is kind of the stuff that I find interesting because the name comes off Jordan Battle, Alabama, 
Alabama. And I think a lot of people who had expectations for what that pick could be, positions it could be, maybe someone who touches the ball finally, right? People are getting excited. And it's a safety. And it was surprising. And then, because most people and people that are doing the, you know, sitting at home tape grinding don't have access to the player. They don't understand the person. Like you said, the character grade. The things that were said about him as a person are things, uh, I think Steven Radicevic said it's the best interview he maybe has ever been a part of uh, at the Combine. And, you know, we heard Darren Simmons say, as soon as we got done talking to him, I put a big red star next to it that said, this guy needs to be on our team, that he fits so perfect. What's it like to sit through one of those and get to know somebody like that? And what was it about that interview particular to you that made it so mind-blowing for a lot of people that were there it wasn't surprising to me because i've been scouting him for the past two years i actually thought he was going to come out last year and you know be be potentially a, a second round pick type type of player last year which is kind of the caliber of player that that we saw so it wasn't surprising you i'm sure some of you guys have seen the videos Nick's, of Nick Saban talking about him. Him and uh, Minka Fitzpatrick and Will Anderson, who was the third pick in the draft this year, are three of the top-notch character, um, just elite, elite, brilliant football minds and football character from everything you could ask for, from work ethic to toughness, all you know, every box you can check. So what, what we want to do in our process is gather all that information from their staff at Alabama, and then we want to look the player in the eye and talk to them, and it's great when those two line up and in this case it was I agree it was one of the one of the best interviews I've been a part of um, like I said a, a brilliant football mind our we I start the interview and we talk for about 10 or 12 minutes and then we usually put on clips of maybe eight or ten clips of tape with the guys and uh, and talk through it we had to cut his inner hit the tape portion of the interview off after about three plays <laughs> because he was it, it was it was unbelievable the way he was talking through every minor detail of all 22 people that were on the field of every play. It was like he had a cheat sheet or an answer key to uh, the plays that were going to be shown to him um, and and ace the, the rest of the interview as well. So we ended up just pivoting and, and having ca- casual conversation with him. We I kind of joked. I, I was like, you know, we, we decided to interview him. And even before the interview, we were like, are we wasting an interview with this guy? We know he's a phenomenal character, but it almost – I didn't think it was possible to elevate him in our eyes in terms of the person that we were getting, but he did that in that interview setting. I mean, we, we, we talked about how the, the Bengals had never taken defensive guys with their first two picks in back-to-back drafts, and you guys did that when he took Turner. And then an hour later, you, you take defensive guys with your first three picks in back-to-back drafts. If, if, it's, not, if it's not battle, it, it, I mean, did, what was the thought going into the draft? Did you think there was a chance that it would play that way, that it would play out defense, defense, defense? That's not the way we designed it. We, we didn't necessarily go in with that in mind or that sort of plan. We go through a ton of different scenarios, and that was something that we knew was possible. At the end of the day, there were offensive players that were in the discussion there at the bottom of that, that third round. Um, you know, we had a number of guys there, there that we were talking about. We ended up moving back three picks, so you've got to have at least three players there that you're comfortable with when you move back from 92 to 95 there and, uh, like you said, pick up that, that extra six-round pick. But Jordan Battle was the guy that just stood out with our grades. We've been very successful when we, we 
just stick with our grades, the best player available. Um, and we think on top of that, he's a great compliment to not only our locker room, but our safety room as a player. We wouldn't take a guy just because he's a phenomenal character and blows us away in the interview. Yeah. We had excellent grades on the guy as a player. We think he's the starting caliber safety in this league. Now, I don't know if, I don't know when he's going to start for us. He's going to come in and compete, but we think he's got that type of ability and talent. Um, and I don't want to sell him just as a great person. He's a really, really a darn good uh, safety as well. Yeah, Nick Saban's not going to play you for four years just because you're a nice guy. I can tell you that much. Uh, you know, four years of Alabama speaks for itself. You know, I, I, I don't know this. I would imagine in that conversation was the guy you ended up taking in the fourth round. I mean, you talk about Charlie Jones out of, out of Purdue because it, you're, n- almost no receivers were taken at the top of the fourth. I think we were all sitting wondering if they were going to start to because we thought that might be on your plate. And uh, and you end up getting him. What was your, uh, you know, what was your process like with him and, and what led you to to him as your guy to, to finally hit that receiver button you guys have been trying to hit for a couple of years now? Yeah, Charlie was a guy that was certainly in the discussion there at the bottom of the third round. You, he's, a, he's a player that we kind of had targeted, had highlighted on our board uh, in that range, in that third, fourth round range. Some of the things we like about him are just his versatility, his speed, quickness, ability to separate as a route runner, um, his hands, and then the, the punt return value that he brings, punt and kick return. He was um, it, kind of a limited passing offense where he was coming from at Iowa when he transferred to, to Purdue, but he was first-team All-Big Ten special teamer there at Iowa, um, had a relationship with their quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, at, at Purdue. They grew up playing playing uh, in the same area in Chicago, playing youth ball in the same leagues, and um, Aiden being a good quarterback, Charlie wanted to um, up his stock as a receiver. He kind of bet on himself, which he had already done previously. He, he went to Buffalo out of high school, bet on himself as a walk-on, transferring to Iowa, and then bet on himself again, transferring to Purdue, and it really worked out with over 1,300 yards. Um, I, I believe 12 touchdowns receiving this year. So there's really not a not a whole lot to dislike about Charlie Jones. And, and he was a guy that was definitely in the discussion a little bit earlier for us. You know, maybe if we would have traded back a little bit further, he would have guy would have been a guy that could have been in that in that range that, that we could have ended up with. Um, Christian and I were, were at um, their opening game this year against Penn State. And I, he had, you know, over 150 yards. He was just getting hit with target after target after target and uh i remember us talking saying this guy's gonna have a hundred and some catches this year which you know he, he turned out to have have that type of productive year so he was a guy that intrigues you when you go through there in training camp talking about him with his special teams background how explosive and fast he is how great character uh you know it sounds redundant but another another great guy locker room guy and all that stuff and then he and then he blows up and has the year that he that he did and at the end of the process was just um a guy that we felt really good about in a lot of different areas what really intrigued me about him, yeah, 110 catches, his film is incredible, but, you know, he's a guy, he's going to turn 25 before Halloween. He entered college in 2017, and it's, it, it sounds like an outlier, but it's not so much anymore because you see the guys getting the COVID years, but I'm just wondering where you guys, how that factors into your, your scouting is the age of a guy, and is there a position where, where age could maybe be more of a benefit than a detriment when you're grabbing a guy coming out of college? 
It's definitely a factor. Like I said, it's it, it wouldn't eliminate anybody. Those guys are more and more common. It's not like he's a a 24, 25-year-old guy and everybody else in the draft class is 21, 22. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's more common these days. So, you know, th- that's the pool of players that, that we're selecting from. It's not one factor that would, like I said, about some of the other measurables that would completely eliminate a guy. But obviously, you, you, you do want to bet on a younger guy with upside. But sometimes that is a positive, you know. You look at, you look at Joe Burrow, he was a little bit older coming into the league you know had you know only two years of starting experience there at LSU but sometimes the older guy more mature coming into the league it can be a positive um, so you, you just have to kind of weigh all the factors and and balance everything out and evaluate the whole picture from every angle I will pander here but it should be noted that Penn State game you went to a lot of those receptions came against number 32 overall draft pick by the Pittsburgh Steelers Joey Porter Jr who he basically trashed that game. They went uh, after him a lot. Yeah, they went after him a lot. They game. went right after him. So uh, should be noted. Should be noted if you're interested in such things. Um, all right, let's let's go through Chase Brown, um, who has one of the best stories in this entire draft between him and his his twin Sydney, uh, who went to the Eagles in the third round. Uh, both of them out of Illinois. If you get a chance to watch that story, that uh, I, I tweeted it out. The TSN did uh, on him and his uh, brother. It's incredible. I mean, a dude that has is as grounded and mature as anybody you'll find in this draft. And when he got his opportunity uh, to play at Illinois, uh, Bert Bellinger just they just gave him the ball over and over and over again. I mean, I haven't seen volume numbers like that in college in forever. And he had, I believe, over, let's see, over 2,600 yards the last two years combined on the ground. I mean, it's just unbelievable. When you see that type of production, what what stood out for you on that? And, and uh, at what point do you factor in, is he getting the ball too much? Can they stop giving it to him so much? Yeah, he was a workhorse for him. There, there's no doubt about that. They were just pounding the ball, and he was the focal point of everything. Um, he it, it can be a concern when a guy has that much usage in college, but he's been, knock on wood, he's been remarkably healthy there. We grade all these guys A through F medically, and he he checked out uh, very well medically. But, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of significant injuries at all that he had in his career. So, like I said, knock on wood, hopefully that stays the same going forward. That's just another piece of the puzzle. You would think a guy with as many carries as he had in college would have been a little bit more beat up. So hopefully we can keep that going um, going forward. But another phenomenal kid, you, you mentioned the, the story and all that. Um, so we don't we don't need to get into all that in, in detail. But from our scouting perspective, just an extremely gifted runner. Um, loose laterally, can make guys miss, but he can put his foot down and accelerate and get north and south. And that's something that we wanted to add to our running back room. Just continue to add explosiveness, home run ability, that big play element. Um, so I think he's going to fit in really well in our room. And uh, we're, we were another guy. We were very excited that he was there, especially at the bottom of the fifth round. We we had him pegged as a guy that had a good chance of going much earlier than that. I'm curious because you talk all the time about best player available, like sticking to your board. But it's if, if you're looking at a running back, is is it is it best back available when it comes time to take one? Because I think a lot of people thought maybe you would take a guy that was more in the the mold of, of Samaj P. Ryan to replace him that that has the traits, better pass pro, uh, the receiving ability that would be more of a comp for Samaj. And this guy seems like he's more of a comp for Joe Mixon. How much does that weigh into when, when you're when you're taking a running back? what style he is, how he fits, what you have, and what you lost. 
It's definitely a factor. Um, we're, we're looking at the end of the day at our grades, and we're evaluating every aspect of it. The pass protection part of it certainly is is important with how much we throw the ball. Just you know, call it what it is. We're gonna we're gonna throw the ball for sure. We we don't want um, Joe Burrow handing it off, uh, you know, fifty times a game. That that wouldn't play to our strengths and and get a, put the ball in our best player's hand. Um, you know, especially in the in the big moments, but. Um, a lot of these college running backs are not necessarily asked to pass protect very frequently. Um, like you said, he was the centerpiece of their offense. I believe he averaged 27 carries a game this year, had maybe another 27 receptions or something like that. So you're talking about a guy that's touching the ball 30 times a game. He's he's the guy they're looking to get the ball to. So part of our job is to project as a scout his football intelligence, his toughness, his want to, his technique. Can he get better at pass protection? Um, maybe if he wasn't asked to do it as much as maybe some other guys in college um, at you know at at Illinois so you know we do think it's something that he can get a lot better at he has wasn't asked to to do it a ton there but at the end of the day like I said with Jordan Battle we stuck to our grades you evaluate everything from a ball carrier receiver pass protection special teams projection and you know when you when you added everything up and you look at our grades we thought Chase was uh, for sure the the best back to take right there uh, to quickly go through the last few I I mean I, I love the Andre Yoshivash pick um, the receiver at the at the end uh, you know you get him in there in the sixth from Princeton uh, he comes in, you have him in for a visit, um, you know, a guy with just freakish athleticism. I mean, you got two things with, with him, right? You have a, an athlete that you're just not going to find. I mean, heptathlon, I don't know a lot about the heptathlon, okay? But I know if you broke the like, college record for 60 meters in the event, you're probably a pretty freaky athlete. And, you know, you, you look at his testing numbers, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and then... Well, okay, you got to teach him the position. Well, he only went to Princeton as in the Ivy League. So you you put those two things together with the right coach and Troy Walters, you got to feel like that's a, a, a nice fit. And it's going to be fun. I mean, you guys have to be really excited just to see what this project looks like when he shows up. It's very exciting. Like you said, I mean, he's, he's an absolute freak in, in terms of athleticism. Um, not not just athletically and speed, he also put up 19 reps on the bench press, which is unbelievable for, you know, a 205-pound receiver. He's 6'3", he's big, he's long, fast, you know, very productive in the Ivy League. And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Troy Walters is an outstanding wide receiver coach. I think we've seen the results. Uh, we obviously have some very good players at the position, but but with what where he's elevated their games and also our backups at the position um, to, you know, get them to the level they're at. We're really excited to see what Troy can do with Andre. Um, you talk about a guy that you mentioned some of the track stuff that he's been doing uh, two seasons a year at times throughout his college uh, career. The when he's doing football year round with NFL coaching, NFL strength training, nutrition, all of the, the above, I mean, it could be scary, you know, where, where he could be two, three, four years down the road. So, um, you know, you're talking about a guy with, with a ton of upside, wasn't necessarily asked to play a ton of special teams. You know, he he's probably the best guy on his team and any team he's playing against from a talent standpoint. So they kept him off of the special teams, but um, it'll be interesting to see if he can ascend and make a mark there. Um, 
um, you know, potentially in special teams coverage. And, um, you know, we're, we're just really excited about the upside. And, uh, you know, he's a, another guy. It sounds like a broken record, but we were surprised just when you look at the way he looks on tape or on tape and on on paper with all of his measurables for him to be there in the sixth round. We just thought it was uh, too good of a, of a deal to pass up. The second pick in the sixth round, the one you got from Kansas City, Brad Robbins, the punter out of Michigan. Um, how does that how much of that is you guys scouting a punter and how much do you just really just kind of defer to to Darren in those situations? We scout all the punters. I mean, we, we definitely do defer to, to Darren. I mean, he's, he's the expert in that area for sure. Um, he went up and did, did private, a private workout with, uh, with Robbins and, you know, came back really impressed. So, um, we had, we had very good evaluations from a scouting staff perspective on him. Um, it was similar to the Evan McPherson process. You know, we loved him on tape as scouts. Darren got into the process, loved him. We were down there at the pro day. Um, so same deal here with, uh, with Robbins, the punter. Um, you know, he'll come in and, and compete for us. You know, I don't think anybody's going to be handed a job right away, but he's a guy that, that we, we really like and think he's, he's going to be a starting punter in the league. So um, we, were, we were excited. We had, you know, a few punters that, that we thought were draft-worthy guys, whether, whether they get drafted or, or go, you know, a, a high-money priority free agent after the draft. And uh, he was one of the guys that we had targeted. And, um, you know, we, that was the pick that we used um, when we moved back with Kansas City three spots so we pick up that's that pick at the bottom of the sixth round and uh, i'm glad we did it because because we can add brad to our room and uh and you know we're excited about what he can do for us here going forward you talk about darren i want to relay a story that uh christian sarkisian over here told me about darren at purdue in that uh you're trying to judge uh your guy charlie jones up there about his punt returnability and all the scout it was a cold nasty day worry worse than this the scouts are cold everyone's kind of like make we just stay in the end door and Darren says absolutely not all 40 of you scouts outside I want to see this guy catching the conditions makes all the cold scouts go outside and we'll have to stand there watch while Darren puts him through the paces for 30 minutes catching outside in the conditions because you're going to need to be able to do that in Cincinnati and I'm not going to sit here and let you have the nice nice life inside the indoor you and all the scouts outside now Darren don't mess around Darren, Darren's getting after it on these guys, these visits. He doesn't mess around, and last I checked, there's no domes in the AFC North. So, <laughs> That's correct. Um, he's gonna he's gonna be playing in the elements, and, and there won't be, and there won't be. It's ridiculous. Uh, all right, lastly, DJ Ivy uh, in the seventh round. Uh, how did he come onto the picture for you guys? Yeah, DJ, DJ was a guy that we really took a liking to throughout the process. Um, liked his tape, you know, like what he did at the All-Star game. Um, interviewed him, you know, got, got a good chance to, to get to know him. He, he was a guy that we obviously had draftable grades on, uh, but didn't get invited to the combine. So we like to bring in a bunch of those guys every year that we would consider drafting because, first of all, we want to get the medical on them, get our doctors to get their hands on them. If we don't have a thorough physical on them, it makes it that much harder to draft a guy. Just because of the unknown, you never know. Um, and then we also want to, you know, get another chance for him to be around all of our scouts, ownership, coaching staff. And he passed every test with flying colors throughout the process. I was down at his pro day. He did an outstanding job. Um, I timed him at four four three. He's got thirty two and five eighths inch arms. Uh, so a ton of upside, ton of raw tools. Um, a fast, big, explosive athlete who um, has a lot of experience as a gunner on the punt team on special teams, which you know. As with a lot of these late round guys, a lot of corners, uh, defensive backs, and receivers, especially, that's kind of their ticket usually to to make the roster and make an impact. So, um, you know, as 
uh, piggybacking off of the punter, you know, wanting to upgrade our special teams. Uh, DJ is another guy that we think has a chance to, to do that and upgrade our special teams and then develop as a corner as well. That's great. And so a heck of a class, and you guys put in so much work for us. Let's hear it for Mike and everybody on the Bengals scouting staff. The amount of work that they put in behind the scenes and time away and time away from their families, it's hard. Uh, but you end up with this group here. I know you guys are really proud. Let's take a break here. Uh, if you guys have any questions uh, that you want, we got paper and pen up here. Or if you have uh, any of that, you can write down any questions and hand them in. And uh, we'll get to a few of those when we, uh, we'll come back here in about five, five, ten minutes. You're ready, so uh, get your beers in place and set down. We're gonna we're gonna get going. Got thanks everybody for dropping in some questions. We got a few. Can't get to all of them. Uh, we'll get to a, a few of these here. A lot of them are kind of grouped together. Uh, so we'll we'll get to a few of those here. Also, uh, another Bengal Scout Christian Sarkeesian joining us up here. Let's hear it for Christian. Special guests. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's get going. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. We're back here at Fifty West Brewing Company. Question, question portion of the program. We're bringing another special guest up. We've got Bengals area scout Christian Sarkeesian is joining us here. Mike Potts is still here. Let's hear it again for these guys for joining us here and talking about the draft. And all the hard work they've put in. I got a question. I, I got a submission from Twitter that just said, please pat them on the back for all the hard work that they did for the Bengals for me. So there's your bat. I hope that wasn't awkward. Are we allowed to touch? Uh, <laughs> they told Twitter told me to do it. So I want to start off. I, I have a question. You know, a lot of times you guys. You, People don't know your faces or who you are. You're not out there very often. Maybe you're most known for being in the background when the camera shows like Zach Taylor's uh, calls to players or like giving the hugs and hand pounds on those videos when a, when, when a selection happens. How aware are you of the cameras and how worried are you of having a negative reaction in case something happens and, and looking right? Or have you gotten in trouble for one of these reactions before? What do you got, Christian? You've been in trouble before one of these, haven't you? Uh, I've been in trouble before, but not necessarily for that. Um, I would say the, the answer to that is like anything else, right? There's a certain level of, of awareness that you have in any situation, and you just got to carry that awareness just like anybody other or anyone else's workplace, you know? Who's in the room where it happens? How many people are in the room? In the draft room, we have all of our ownership group, um, all of our scouts, and then we have some of our, our team uh, trainers and doctors for the medical portion of it. Um, and then Zach, our head coach, and, and our three coordinators are there. So it's probably about 20 people roughly in, in the whole room. I feel like I've, I've heard from some people on the staff who feel like, look, I got demoted. I'm down the hallway in my office waiting to be called on in case I'm needed. That's got to that's got to hurt some pride. You got to be like, look, you just got to be strong. Don't worry. Maybe you'll be in the room one day, buddy. Is that kind of I imagine there's some you got to let these guys know it's going to be OK. It's going to be OK. You'll one day be in the room where the cameras are. Um, all right. I got some questions here. Uh, let's start this one from George, and it's kind of connected to a couple other ones here. George puts it bluntly because it's, it's optimistic. Bobby's uh, son, he said, why did we not take any tight ends? 
<laughs> George wants to know why you didn't take any tight. Let's talk about the tight ends in this draft. It was one of the deepest tight end drafts that we've seen in a long time. You guys obviously have potential needs there, potential openings there. What was it like sifting through this draft at that position and figuring out where maybe it would hit you, what the scheme fits are, and dealing with you know that that deep group? It was a very deep group. Uh, there was certainly a number of guys that we really liked at the tight end position. We by no means went in with designs or, or the intention to, to not leave the draft without a without selecting a tight end. Maybe, like I said, maybe if we would have moved back and and, uh, and traded again and picked up another pick, we could have taken a tight end. But as you go through the process, I mentioned the character and medical that can eliminate some players. And then also, we want our coaches to have visions for these guys in terms of a scheme fit. So that would that would kind of lower some other guys on our board, maybe that were that were a little bit higher publicly. But still, at the end of the day, there there were a good amount of tight ends that, that we had targeted and, and and we really had a lot of regard for and that vision for to uh, to help us on the field as a player. At the end of the day, it just didn't stack up with the board, the you know, with the strengths at each position and and just the way we had the players graded in every round. We um, we had a higher regard um, as players, and so in some cases, it was a more premium position on top of that um, in in each round. So the board just didn't fall that way, but it was it was not something that we had had designs of doing or or you know had had something planned out in advance. Um, that being said, there, there are some tight ends on our roster that we like. There are some tight ends that are still out there that we can continue to address the position. The the roster for 2023 for the Cincinnati Bengals is uh, by no means set right now. I mean, you you look at moves like we made, like trading for B.J. Hill um, right late in training camp a couple years ago, and look what he's he's done for us. So we're constantly evaluating what's out there. There could be trades. There could be guys that are that are released. There could be guys that are already free agents that we could add. So we're going to continue to try to turn that position and upgrade it and uh, have it in the best spot we can going into the season. Mike just confirmed they're going to get a tight end really soon guys don't worry about it um, Paul, Paul, just to, and just to add on top of that too I you know I think one thing that I've learned from from being under the uh, the mentorship of uh, pots here is you gotta let and Duke is you, you gotta let the board play play to your uh, picks right like you don't want to try to force anything I think we've had a lot of success just following the grades and that's what it led us to it how, how hard was it this year to predict that group? I thought it would be fascinating. How are teams going to handle this deep tight end? I'm not going to call it unprecedented, but I mean, one you rarely see. Were you wondering if teams would would wait longer, if it would push guys down the board? Or did you feel going into it, you had a good feel for what the tight end group would end up doing? I mean, nine guys is an NFL record going in the first three rounds. Maybe there was a thought that some of those guys would end up pushed into the fourth or fifth just because of teams willing to wait because there were so many. Did it make it particularly challenging to try to predict how that was going to play out? It definitely was challenging. Um, we, we go through and analyze every other, uh, all, all the other 31 teams, their, their needs with their positions, um, you know, that they could be targeting. We have, you know, tight end in this example highlighted for a number of teams that they could really prioritize that. But at the end of the day, they could be having the same conversations we are. We maybe necessarily, some of you guys out there, maybe probably think we need a tight end. You know, it's something that we could still upgrade, like I said. But at the end of the day, another team that we have targeted for needing a 
tight end could take a guy at another position that they have graded uh, highly, um, you know, uh, above that tight end. So it's really hard to tell. We knew there was going to be a run at him at some point. And then once I think that second round opened up, it's it uh, there started to be a run after only one went in the first round there with Dalton Kincaid. So um, it's it's hard to predict. We analyze it as much as we can. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're you're talking about other other human beings making decisions. And, uh, you know, it's it can be unpredictable for sure. This is a question uh, from Nick that I think is is interesting for where you guys are at right now. I, I've asked it in different ways to Duke and Zach, and, and so I think I know a little bit of the answer, but I'm curious your take on it when you're going through the scouting process. Is how, how does the team being in contention for a Super Bowl move the needle between drafting for needs or for best player available? I think you know it's a good conversation about now versus the long term when, when you're so close, when you, when you feel like you're one play away or one call away from a, the first championship like you guys have been the last couple of years, how, how does that play into the way you grade, rank, and, and scout? I would say the uh, the biggest the biggest thing and a common misconception I'd say about the scouting industry and something that gets forgotten is you got to look at every pick, literally one through uh, 259, and every player as an individual, right? This is a people business, so every case is a little bit different. So it's it's a little hard to, to pigeonhole, I'd say, like that with, with so many uh, different factors uh, and variables. Um, so again, I, w- I would say that you want to get the best players available and you want to be drafting players that you see a clear path for them to make your roster. When a lot of times that path is to hang out in the background um, and eventually wait for your moment. One thing I wanted to talk about that I I thought was fascinating, I think you guys have done a masterful job building this defense. And when you look at the way it's constructed, where you have all of these starters who are on their second contracts but not 30 and in the primes of their careers that are there as mentors and leaders and strong culture guys and just the ridiculous load of young, talented players behind them at every spot. You have five backups, not starters, five backups that are on their rookie deals selected in the first three rounds of this draft. To me, what I've been saying is is that is a team built not just to win now or later, but to win in January. Because January is when every team is missing three to four players somewhere. And the fact that you can call on Miles Murphy to come off the bench potentially as, you know, if something were to happen to Sam Hubbard or Trey Hendrickson is an extreme luxury. What what has been your view, Mike, of building the defense? I know you never planned for it to go exactly how it has in the draft, but I mean, seven straight day one and two picks on that side of the ball what's it been like for you to see that unfold and and was this kind of the plan for for it to look like that did you guys have conversations that said this is what i want our two deep on defense to look like 
Yeah, I, th- I think our two deep right now, we're at a point where it looks exactly how we envisioned it maybe a couple years ago. I mean, we talk about those relentless players, instinctive players. Again, at the end of the day, to put it in its most simple form, guys that we just think are good football players on tape that are good fits for our locker room. And we've done a phenomenal job, I think, on the offensive side and the defensive side from top to bottom in the organization. Um, and that and that's kind of where we're at right now. We haven't gotten over that final hump, but as long as long as I've got influence in it, we're not going to stray away from the formula that's that's been successful with trusting our evaluations, trusting our board, and then trusting our sources and our evaluations of the character on guys. We're at a point right now with, with excellent leadership on our team in the locker room, so we can maybe sprinkle in some guys that are more of a risk, whether it's medically or character. But why would we do that? The, the formula that we've had right now has been successful, and we're going to keep doing that. I think when you, when you try to veer off the path and get too cute, that's where you end up screwing up. And uh, I think that leads leads to uh, some of the defensive depth that we've added, like you said. And, you know, maybe maybe Jordan Battle, maybe if you look at the look at the roster, he's not the he, the, the biggest need that we have on paper. But if he's our, our best graded player, you never know what's going to happen. Like you said, in January, you look at our offensive line where we had three starters go down after um, the starting five played the majority of the year before that. So you never know what's going to happen. But if you take the best player, you have um, that quality depth that continues to build up and the, and the youth, like you said, with those top three round picks and they end up paying dividends for you down the line at some point. In versatility. I mean, that's the other part of it is all these guys you've taken. You know, you talked about um, Turner ending up. He could go into the slot. He could play outside. Obviously, we know Dax Hill and his versatility. Now you add battle. I mean, you could theoretically, if something happened, you could move Dax out of safety. to the, He played, Lord knows, he'll tell you he had to learn every position last year. Uh, but you, you can move these guys around. And, and you know, Lou loves that and to earn his mad scientist label a little bit more, all the different ways he, he can use these guys. Um, here's one uh being at the draft it felt like most of your picks came in quickly i think the broadcasters even commented that at one point with the miles murphy pick where the picks sprinted to the podium we know there's actually no running to the podium but in in so to say as much as it felt like does that speak to your confidence level with these players was it just get that pick in we love it or was tv just behind how did that work out it was a little bit of both in the in the first round there's 10 minutes on the clock the league tells us we're on a league-wide zoom and conference call they tell you for tv purposes so they can spread out their highlights and everything like that i'm actually the one we have a system i type the name in round number pick number um player name position school and hit submit and send it into the the league so um they they tell us in the first round to wait until five minutes has run off the clock before you submit their pick uh so they can spread it out but after that once rounds two through seven come along you can submit it as fast as you as you want in some cases we did submit it as soon as we got uh zach calls the player as soon as he gets them on the phone um and he's done with that conversation and no trade calls have come in we submit that pick um there were instances on TV I was alerted to that it made it look like we put it in quicker than we actually did. But I think some of that is the TV has to line it up with their commercial break and when they're done, their analysis of the previous pick. So it looks like the Bengals pick is coming in, but really it's it's been in for five minutes already or something like that. There's a there's a delay on, on the TV and they just have to play that balancing act of timing it up. 
I'd say that just being a fly on the wall, just really watching how uh, Duke and Potts communicate that and, you know, really the process of putting the pick in, I'd say that when you're following the board, uh, there's a lot more conviction versus when you're trying to discuss, hey, we have this need, let's discuss who fits the need. When you're following the board, the board's talking to you the whole time and Duke and Potts do a wonderful job reading that board and then, you know, you can speak with... you can have some conviction when you're uh, when you're typing on the computer there, so it might get done a little faster. On that note, and this is just something I noticed, uh, I think the Cowboys had some video out of the background of their first round pick. They took Mozzie Smith out of Michigan, and they were discussing, I think, um, uh, Bergeron maybe. I'm not sure who they were talking about, another player they were considering taking. They were talking through it there in the moment. I've been told that this is not at all what happens with you guys, That, that for, especially at that pick, like you said, following the board and letting the board talk to you and having them rank 1 to 28. How, how much de- last-minute debate actually happens or is that something that's very clearly stated that look these conversations have already happened we're not going to engage in that here during the time you're on the clock there's no real debate when, when we're on the clock all of those discussions have happened prior to that so if we're picking at uh pick 28 and there and the selections made at 25 we have three players in that exact order one two three that we would take as it comes off so the the decision the discussions we trust our process it's in in some cases we're scouting these guys for four or five years um so it's a it's a lot of work that's gone into it to just pivot as as the clock you know strikes strikes zero on the on the previous pick and and that pick goes in so we trust our process in that regard and then as far as being on the clock really the only thing is if a trade call that comes in while we're on the clock that blows us away but in most cases most of those calls come in I would say probably the eight to ten picks prior to us selecting so a lot of those scenarios have been played out the teams don't necessarily want to surprise you and and uh, catch you off guard with it they say hey if if your guy is there would you guys be open to, to making this this trade? We say yes or no, and then we continue the dialogue there. Yeah, and I think one one positive, and, and I heard, Paul, you ask uh, Mike this question earlier, and Mike answer with, you know, here with the Bengals, we all live in Cincinnati. So during the draft meeting process, different teams will bring in their scouts for a couple weeks. Whereas for us, we've spent the whole year, you know, just a few when we're in the office, just a few feet away from each other. So these conversations have really been taking place since the fall. Uh, And then as you go throughout the winter, you incorporate, you know, the coaches and then you really start having a, a larger conversation. But with us living here in town, it definitely allows us to get a little bit of a jump on those conversations. Mike, I just had this vision, since you're the guy that has to submit the name, that like, okay, lost this debate, really wanted the other guy, but I got do you type louder, like, Ugh. or maybe think about, it. maybe I'll just put my guy's name in here, <laughs> and just see, see if they notice, right? I mean, just, I imagine that, maybe just a little, little hard on the keys, go back to the, to the finger, just pounding the, pounding the uh, computer. Um, let's see here, oh, also, did Brad Robbins' mustache move him up your board? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, what a remarkable piece of facial hair. Yeah. Um, and his two bald guys sitting up here, I can say that him being bald helped too. The bald coalition is never going to be against you, I can tell you that much. You'll always get somewhere with that. Okay, uh... Were you surprised the two running backs were taken in the top 12? I won't ask you guys to comment specifically on Bijan or Jameer Gibbs, but 
running back in general going that high is that is that a surprising thing do you think there is a a trend to be taken from that or is this just kind of about man players with some rare ability yeah, I just think that both of them in their own right, they're they're really special talents. And, you know, those teams that picked them in Atlanta and Detroit, they clearly saw a, a clear conviction for them and, and uh, amen to them and all the right to them. That was a decision that they were trying to do. And that's what all of us are trying to do. Once you feel that conviction for a guy and if he's there, go ahead and, and uh, take your shot. Um, I want to thank you guys for joining us here. Let's hear it again for Christian and Mike. This has been incredibly enlightening. You guys do an incredible job. It's been so much fun. We appreciate you coming out. Hope you guys had a great time. And thanks to all of you guys for coming out and joining us out here tonight. If you follow and listen and all that stuff, we certainly appreciate you. So uh, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for coming out here. Have a good one. We'll talk to you later. We're good.